Hello, and thank you for listening to Brewery Radio. I'm Patrick Rue, and today I'm joined by, uh, what's your name, uh, Jay Goodwin? That's my name. Yeah. Yep. Founder of the Rare Barrel and former brewer. And you got Jeremy Grenke. Uh, what's your title? Oh, I'm um, production manager here at Brewery Taru. Cool. So nice to have you here, Jay. What's uh, What brings you here? Not much. I hear there's some beer here to drink. So. <laughs> <laughs> Here to uh, do a lot of things, to uh, make a beer with uh, the brewery and the and brewery Taru and Jeremy. Um, so we haven't made a lot of progress on that yet today, but no, we've, we've been having a lot of fun. We've made absolutely no progress so far. <laughs> <laughs> but the day is young. Um, and also just to come back to uh, the brewery, which is uh, where I got my start back in uh, November of 2008. Uh, Patrick, you probably don't remember this because it's many beers later, but you hired me one, you know, one day many years ago. I remember that. <laughs> Actually, uh, b- right before we hired you, I went to BevMo and Irvine, and oh. uh, I asked some of your coworkers what they thought of you. Did you really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it wasn't too far from where you were living at the time, right? Yeah, it was like two miles away. I would yeah. go to BevMo anyway. Yeah. Because <laughs> of the service? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because of me? <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah. At the time, yeah, I was uh, fresh out of uh, college and um, working at Bevmo, and really, I, I was into beer in college, of course, like many young men. And uh, getting more into craft beer was be- was becoming a passion. And then um, going to Bevmo and seeing what people were buying and and talking about was really interesting and. Belgian beers were were all the rage, and I, I didn't want to work there forever. Although I, I enjoyed my time there, certainly at uh, Beverages and More, fine establishment. Um, but I, so so one day I kind of just looked into okay, well, me and my friend uh, Alex Wallace, who was my uh, roommate in college, we are maybe one day going to try to start a brewery. So this is before any of us had experience or. Really, we were even before we were making good homebrew beer, but I made a list one day and just said, you know, within 100 miles, which is kind of as far as I was willing to drive, what are the best breweries? And uh, when I was done with that list, I started contacting breweries. I should have started at the bottom and went up, but I started at the top and, and went down. <laughs> and I uh, I emailed probably just the, the info at thebrewery.com and you guys got back to me and had me in for an interview and magic. You know, there's sparks all over the place. No, really, I think <laughs> <laughs> really what I think it was is you guys, uh, back in the day, we had our one of our big beers, Orchard White Belgian Whip Beer, delicious. And um, you guys had, it was probably going to be your biggest bottling run to date on that upcoming Monday. And, uh, you know, I was kind of just like, you know, I'll mop the floors for minimum wage for one hour a day just you know just give me one brewer's boot in the door and i think you guys were probably thinking like well i mean we'll try them out on this shitty bottling day or oops sorry (laughs) Uh, you can fucking cuss s bottling day yeah (laughs) (laughs) um and you know we'll see how it goes and uh i don't want to drone on for too long but I'll, i'll i'll stop after this uh this quick intro story uh I think I can't. So I came in. You guys gave me a shot. 
And uh, I heard after the fact that um, you guys uh, were we're talking, uh, how, oh, how did, uh, you know, the new guy do today? And it's like, yeah, he's never coming back. <laughs> <laughs> and then three and a half, four years later uh, is when I was actually never come back. And it was, it was a great ride. So I'm happy to be back today. Yeah. Can you explain what that first bottling run looked like or more what it felt like? <laughs> it felt like the greatest day of my life, to be honest. Uh, wow. But that's, you know, probably not how... Uh, Patrick and Tyler and Jonas and Ben were feeling because, uh, you know, it was, it was all manual. So it was, uh, for anyone familiar with the equipment, it's kind of the, the standard forehead gravity filler, which is a very physical thing. Oh, excuse me, Jay. It's a six head. Uh, was it six head? Yeah. I spent an extra $200 for those extra two heads. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to sell you short. So six yeah. head, yeah. We'll, we'll edit that out. My, my memory is perfect of this. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, it was, for me, from my perspective, it was the time of my life. Like, I couldn't believe that I was going to get paid to basically hang out at a brewery, not just any brewery, but what I consider probably the best brewery in, in my region. And then I, what I learned later is one of the best breweries in the world. Um, right when we, you know, that was just all starting. I think it was like six months after the kind of official, hey, we're selling beer kind yeah. of opening. Um, so it's just great. To, so I was I was having a ball, but I think everyone else was having a pretty miserable time because it was, you know, one person kind of taking bottles off the bottle pallet, putting it on a table. Then the person takes it off, a different person takes it off the table and does a sanitizer rinse on it. And then that same person takes it off and, like, hands it to the person putting it on the bottling line and then passes it off to a different person who caps it and then passes off or slides it down a table to a different person standing next to a bottle cage who places it in the bottle. So it's like a six, five, six person bottling line. Yeah. And it was quite slow. 10 bottles a minute, maybe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, uh, and it, I loved it. Now, you know, <laughs> if you asked me that to do that today, I'd be like, get the heck out of here. Yeah, but crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but at that time I was uh, bright eyed and bushy tailed and loving every minute of it. I love it. Hard workers tend to tend to do well around here. Yeah, that's that's been a long time since I've done that, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So you guys are uh, blending a beer today. Can you tell me a little bit about um, what you've tasted so far and what direction we're heading? Yeah, I'd love to jump First in. First part there. of the question. Um, yeah, so we are blending a beer today. Um, so basically, uh, exciting part about having Jay, um, come in and doing a beer with us is, uh, you know, Jay has a familiarity, um, with this brand that, um, you know, as he just discussed, dates back almost to its origination. And, uh, he has a way, probably I'm putting words in his mouth, but a way of looking at these beers that I don't have the historical reference to, um, equate. Uh, that being said, um, I tried to do a lot of different things with the Teru base beers and the way we handle beer at Teru. And so for me personally, getting Jay in, it's like super exciting just to like give him the keys of the kingdom, so to speak, and say, hey, Jay, uh, what do you like? What don't you like? Uh, what are your questions about how we're doing something? What, how did you used to do those things? Um, so that that's the basic um, place we're at right now and we haven't gotten any further than that we have tasted no beer 
Um, we have discussed well, no. Well, I don't well know hold about on. That. Well, we've tasted <laughs> we've tasted in progress beer. Uh, we've tasted uh, package ready beer. Um, we have yet to taste a barrel of beer. Um, we have yet to discuss a concept. We have yet to discuss an adjunct. We have yet to discuss any sort of spicing. Um, we've been so, working hard, though. Yeah, but we've been really working hard. <laughs> he said hello to 30 people so far, um, which is great. Um, but but basically, we're trying to do sort of uh, or, an or organic day where we just spend some time together. <coughs> we eventually, excuse me, eventually we'll get to the beer um, and when we do, uh, we'll repeat those same uh, sparks and fireworks and magic that originally, <laughs> originally Jay saw on his first packaging day here. Yeah, one, <laughs> one quick takeaway I can already tell, not just from being here today, but from, you know, you guys being generous and us being able to try your guys' beer uh, since I left pretty consistently. Uh, I, I do have to say, I don't think the, the beer at the brewery has ever been better than it is today or in this kind of modern context um and so getting the keys to this kingdom is certainly exciting and to see uh what jeremy's done on the true side and also trying all the the clean side beers at the the brewery tasting room in a little bit will be a lot of fun but uh it's it's, it's also quite nostalgic to see old things that still exist like patrick and uh <laughs> <laughs> not dead yet <laughs> <laughs> and and all the the new improvements that have been made so it's been a blast awesome well very uh, generous words appreciate that um i agree but i'm pretty biased but i do think our uh across the board beer is better today oh, than screw it's ever you, been patrick. before yeah <laughs> what's wrong with my beer? No. <laughs> <laughs> well when you were here we made some uh remarkable beers but uh didn't quite have the resources that we have today uh, it's just, yeah it's a totally different situation and uh I'm, i like i said i'm nostalgic for the times when uh we were just coming up, and it meant a lot to me in my career and uh, to be a part of this and, and see how much you guys have uh, thrived is, is awesome to see. Nice. So uh, do you have a direction you'd like to go or certain base beers that you want to use for this blend? Yeah, Jay. Do you? Thank you, Jeremy. <laughs> um, no, honestly, I mean, I guess one thing that we try to do at uh, the Rare Barrel is not – prejudge and not make a lot of decisions before we get into a blend um we so m maybe to make a little bit of a distinction although i think from what i'm hearing about what jeremy is working on recently uh things have changed a lot but i think back in my time working with uh, a lot of the sour beer cultures with uh tyler king who's the head brewer and travis who is now at, and doug who are now at society um you know, we were kind of working with similar cultures and inoculating these sour beers in similar ways. And just having the opportunity to start the rare barrel and I guess try to throw a bunch of different processes at the wall and see what sticks uh, has been rewarding. And from the production side of things, it keeps you flexible. Now that's murder from the sales and marketing side of things. But, um, you know, it's it, it, both both have their challenges. But, you know, I think, Jeremy, we were tasting some of the the fooder projects you guys had going and you kind of individually compartmentalize them out. It's like here's one part of it fermented with this yeast. Now here's this wild Saccharomyces. Now here's this bread. 
Now here's this mixed culture, and then we'll see how they all come back together. I think um, you know we we share a, a similar philosophy there, um, and you can do that sometimes, or you can do it all the time. You know, it doesn't really matter. It's all up to the the sour beer maker and blender, but. That was basically my best like politician dodge of the actual question, which is like, what are you going to do? Yeah, it's kind of a it's bullshit response. Like, yeah, yeah <laughs> I agree. basically, it's like my typical long-winded answer of, I, I don't know, Patrick. That means you're going to be drinking for a while before you figure it out. I'm guessing. Yeah. True. Yeah. Just fun. Yeah. Teru. Teru. It's pronounced true. Not true. Teru. 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 Yeah. Um, but we do have, like, we're, we're going to taste some stuff today. We have four um, base beers at Teru that Jay is um, very experienced with, that being Tart of Darkness, Sour in the Rye, um, Oud Tart, and uh, our Sour Blonde that we use to make ruse and a lot of other fruited variants. So Jay's ultimately familiar with those beers, at least how those beers um, have been finished in bottle and how they tasted aging in barrel five years ago sure um there's a lot of things that have changed since then um even some of the base recipes on those beers have changed a little bit since then um, but there's a lot of process things that have changed so it'd be really interesting to um you know let him pick barrels and find good ones and find horrible ones because there are some barrels that are going to be found that aren't great um and then we have three new base beers um that we've been working on for a while we have a higher gravity blonde sour beer we have a um, sour triple beer, and we have the sour quad. So, um, you know, opening up that part of the cellar to J2, something that he's not necessarily familiar with from the past, um, could be really eye-opening to see, you know, what he thinks about it or, or what his approach would be for blending those types of things because ultimately, um, as close as Jay and I get uh, professionally, um, you know, we are not the same blender. Um, I'm going to have a different idea than he has, and um, I have the ultimate respect for uh, his history here at the brewery. So I'm, for me, I'm just like a little kid at a candy shop, like getting to play around with some beer today. So um, still want to get paid for today, but <laughs> I, uh, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> I, I want to get paid too, just for the record. <laughs> So uh, today we're doing something a little bit different. We're on Facebook Live. We're, we're streaming. You can see my fat head here live, which is awesome. If you're listening to this recorded, I'm sorry. But uh, for those actually listening, we got 23. Oh, no, 22, 21. Thousand. Uh, they, they keep nice. dropping wow. off. Oh, <laughs> What's wow. happening that's, here? that's a lot of thousand. Yeah. If you guys have any questions for us, uh, we'd be happy to answer them uh, for you. But so far we have uh, Kevin Holder says, you guys do any hazy IPAs? Ha, ha. At the rare barrel, I, yeah. I assume. Oh, yeah, I guess so. I don't know. Uh, no. no. <laughs> Is that it? Is that it? Um, I think some of our beers have haze. Yeah. Uh, to to take, maybe what might be a funny question seriously. Uh, we we have hazy beers for sure, um, and then we have been doing a lot more experimentation with. Um, whirlpool hops and dry hopping, which I think is really fascinating, and it's kind of yielded actually some of our best results yet. Um, and then we have also collaborated with our friends at a cellar maker brewing company in uh, San Francisco. Yeah, that's what I was going to mention. I thought I'd seen a couple beers you guys had done together. And those include like dry hop 
collaborations, but also what I'll call, which isn't really a style, I guess, or maybe it is, a tart IPA. Um, sort of sort of making an IPA and getting some a little bit of sour beer in there just to make it a little brighter, and then doing a big dry hop charge. Um, those can end up hazy. Cellarmaker has great clean and hazy IPAs, so I guess yeah. I mean, we make some some hazy hoppy beers, whether you want to call it an IPA, which is you know a topic that we talked about at the brewery for the first three or four years. Um, and I, I still am bitter, no pun intended, that the first IPA out of the brewery, not really the brewery, but was not Rue the Day IPA. Oh, it's yeah. the best. I, I love that name because it's yeah, it's on our it's on the short list of of a name, but we we, we, we were cut actually it out if you're gonna use it. Yeah, we had like uh, for a brewery name, Rue the name or Rue the Day was uh, one of the potential names. I'm really glad we didn't do that. At least I'm on the short Super list. Super happy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'll just take I'll take the short list, no problem. But yeah, no no exact like hazy IPA. Everything's got to have a, a tart um, tinge to it for us. We we do call the rare barrel. A sour beer company or an all sour brewery. So uh, imagine, like, uh, well, I guess a ter- on the Teru side, you guys do wild or like, was it wildly traditional beer? Wildly traditional beery. Beery. <laughs> yeah. I'm so on brand. See, I yeah. still got it. No, yeah, we do. <laughs> so we do a little bit of everything, but um, I think for us, nothing's really off limits. It's like Saison Rue comes out of the Teru program, which, by it the does. way, I just had a one year old. Saison Rue, during, I, we eavesdropped into the sensory tasting, and, you know, just kind of supporting my point from earlier, that's probably the best Saison Rue I've ever had. What, you know, it's just one-year-old. I'm sure the one that's available right now is great. So it, it's cool to see how that beer's developed. But I don't know, Patrick, maybe I'll turn the tables on you for a second. Um, some of those beers that still exist from from the early days – how do you feel like they've developed? Did some of those early visions kind of come to fruition, or are they like from what you wanted in the early days of like 2007, 2008, or yeah. are they kind of way off from what you thought, but you still like them? Yeah. So Saison Rue, you know, we I wanted that to be a beer that would drink differently when fresh and when aged. Like it's sort of an obvious concept now, but it wasn't that obvious in 2008. Um, so, you know, fresh, have you know, almost a beer to guard like character, baked bread, a little bit of residual sugar, a little bit of funk, like more of a cellar, uh, cellar mustiness. And then as it develops or ages, uh, gets more of that strong Brett character. We also put that in what experiment to uh, mm-hmm. essentially restrain ourselves from releasing it too early. You know, within, <laughs> within the first three months, you can taste that, uh, that spearmint, and you're like, oh, it's not ready yet. I can still taste the mint. And then, you know, after that point, it seems like a really weird ingredient to add uh, for that reason. But, um, you know, that beer was so inconsistent the first few years that we made it. Just the, the strains of breath that we got from different labs were um, varied from, oh, yeah, you know, this is super bready. And others, like, I can't taste any breath after two years. And yeah. it's just this malty thing. Um, so, you know, now we get a very consistent level of Brett, um, whether consistency is something to be proud of. I think it is, but, uh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you can, I think you can get more differences on ages of Saison Rue rather than individual batches. 
uh, just which is fun for me. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a beer that um, is just a an old reliable beer for me. It was really exciting when we first made it, and now it's just uh, kind of a standard for me. Yeah, I think I bet it shouldn't be taken for granted. I think I think it's a great beer, and yeah, I mean, not just the the source of the bread that we got change from year to year but man we to to drive that breath character we changed our process i remember quite a bit and there was yeah. like you know are we there's the with both saisons and it was like brett in the initial primary fermentation or is it going to go in the bottle or then we're doing part of it 100 percent brett and then the rest all saccharomyces and all this and then blend little bits into it and it's just like how do we drive this that's been a lot of fun for us to figure out on our own at the rare barrel, but, um, you know, it, it's also fun to see what you guys have accomplished with, you know, I think consistency is a good thing and, you know, people shouldn't, I don't know, I'm, I'm, up, I'm up on my soapbox, but people should not take a beer like that for granted, I would say. It's a hard beer to make and it's better than it's ever been. Awesome, thanks. Yeah, thank you. So how are we making it these days? Oh, boy. Uh, I was thinking about all that while Jay was talking. I was trying um, to give you enough time to my remember Lord. what the hell you're doing. My <laughs> Lord, because it's, uh, I mean, honestly, it's quite a challenge. Um, I've been here at the brewery now three years, and I'm still challenged. But originally, when I, I first started, um, you know, there wasn't a lot of, like, roadmap um to the history that Jay is describing. So in other words, uh, all the process changes that went into sculpting the beer to be X, each different batch, um, uh, without the history of knowing that, it's really hard to dig down that deep and find out what, what had been done so many different times in so many different ways. Um, so we went through our own learning curves with that beer. Um, but one thing I can tell you is that we've made a lot more of it than probably was ever made before all the years combined and um consistency is a really really big thing for um our company with our distribution um beers and that being one of them so when you've got two 90 barrel tanks of that beer going at the same time that are finishing you know a week apart from each other and one is getting packaged and the next one's getting packaged the following week and there has been inconsistencies in fermentation. There's been uh, inconsistencies in bottle conditioning. Um, you really see those inconsistencies. It's not a it's not a batch that's uh, that's brewed and sold, and then six months later you're brewing another batch that's brewed and sold. It's you know they're they need to be the same because when somebody pulls an order, uh, you don't know necessarily which batch is going. And in other words. Um, you know, we ran into, you know, some, some issues on, on different batches that didn't finish the way they were anticipated. So um, I think we've finally gotten to a place where um, the package product is predictable and it takes a lot of work to get to that place and it takes a lot of mistakes, you know, um, to get there. That being said... Um, Predictability when it comes to uh, Britannomyces and bottle-conditioned beers is always, uh, I, I guess, <laughs> it's <laughs> it's always hard to say you could predict excellence. Um, you're dealing with a wild Brett strain, and um, yeah, I, I I think that beer is great. Um, it's it's one of those legacy beers for the brewery, and 
uh, it's really important to me personally to be able to pull that beer off. So um, it's still out there. Yeah, it's you're still doing out it. there, and you can you can still buy it. So that must be a good thing. And I think you know consistency can be hard, but if you're falling short of consistency, as long as you're consistently good, correct, and the the quality is consistently high, then some variation is, you know, ultimately it's acceptable right. to everyone involved and can drive innovation sometimes. So. Correct. Yeah. So we do have a question on uh, Facebook Live from uh, Mike Beaver. So I know all beers are able to be drank fresh, but you have you ever thought about doing an aging guide for one what, or for what one might expect from cellarine from months to years? What do you, what do you guys do? You have a, a a suggested aging on your I don't think you have sure do it's ex it's extremely specific all right it says and I'm reading about I'm reading from notes now when cellared properly this beer will age for years to come years oh, wow. years <laughs> it's like wow it's deep somewhat somewhat generic but I think so here here's I'll get back up on the soapbox here's my thing when it comes to beers aging you know I think coming from where you guys sit now from the brewery's perspective is you've got a pretty good idea about how these different beers age un until you make a, a brand new one, but, uh, or you make major changes like we were just talking about with Saison Rue. So you can't say Saison Rue will definitely age for four years or eight years or 16 years or whatever it's going to be because we just talked about how different each year is. Um, from the rare barrels perspective, why, you know, we kind of, we make an assumption that the beers will age well over the course of at least several years is because that's generally true for sour beers that go into the bottle and if they re-ferment, they re-ferment well. They're, they're probably going to last you that long at least, but, um, I can't like I was I was worried from the beginning about guaranteeing anything when it comes to like someone like maybe out there you've drinking Cantillon or something like a like any other Belgian goose where you've had a 10 or 15 or if you're lucky enough to have like a 20 year old or something it's like wow this is still really good I mean sometimes not but uh you know if they want to say that in fact I think I actually just saw a bottle of uh, Dre Fontainen, they have like a new label and someone was showing it to me and they had like different, it was a, I think a Goose and Creek and the Goose uh, best, this had Best Buy date on it and I'm sorry, I won't get this date exactly accurate, but it was like 25 or 30 years into the future. Wow. Um, the Creek was actually less, um, which I think it makes sense to me, but, um, but, but they're, you know, they have enough history to say, hey, we have enough history to say what, and they keep their process the same. Um, but to translate that to American sour beers is, is a little difficult. So we kind of took a conservative approach is I guess what I'm trying to say. But um, you know, I think, again, earlier in the sensory tasting that we got to eavesdrop in on, uh, all the brewery beers I tasted were holding up well. Uh, many of them that I've tasted before are holding up well. And that's, we found that in our uh, rare barrel tastings as well, but certainly they change. So it just depends on how you feel about, hey, is this beer still good in a vacuum? Or are you comparing it to, you know, right when it came out? It's a, it's a different conversation. Yeah. So 
again, maybe I don't remember if I answered that question or not, but yeah, that was good. I think for us, we used to put the year, you know, drink within five years or drink within two years. Um, and then as we, you know, as five years went by, okay, yeah, it's still good. That's great. But other times, you know, maybe it kind of fell apart after a year. Um, so for us, we take the, uh, being a, a uh, law school graduate, I got to, like, you know, apply my, uh, my lack of skill somehow. Um, by saying how long something should age for, you're, it's almost it's an implied warranty on the yeah. beer. So when you have a bad experience after five years, the bottle says I can drink it, you know, for decades, mm -hmm. um, and this is not good. Um, you know, can I return it? Can I? So, yeah. So for us, uh, it's more of a um, I don't know, for lack of better words, a uh, kind of a, a commercial decision to sure. say, you know, the beers. Intended to be drink, consumed fresh, but it can be aged. Uh, but we're not going to tell you how long to age it for. Yeah. I think the only beer that strays from that is Anniversary, where we still say it can be. Uh, no, Anniversary and Black Tuesday, I think we can say it can be uh, aged for decades. Um, so hopefully that's true. We're almost on our first decade, and that, that first batch, batch of Black Tuesday is still pretty good. Unbelievable. Yeah, pretty good. unbelievable. <laughs> awesome. Let me check if we have any more questions. Let's see. Joey Hudson asks, how do you guys feel about the juice craze going on right now? Glad you're a part of it. And this is referring to the brucicle. Curious to get Jay's uh, thoughts on uh, these insanely fruited, unfermented, mm -hmm. or, you know, fruited beers that with fruit that's un unrefermented. Yeah. Great. You know, <laughs> it's like. Uh, He's thinking something differently, isn't he? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I. I don't know. I don't get too uppity about reactions to trends. And some people will say, I don't know, like I'm trying to think of a hazy IPA is a, is a trend that people don't agree with or um, fruit haze beers, milkshake type things and stuff like that. I, I don't know. It's as a brewer, I kind of take that on as a challenge. It's like, this is what, um, people want and they want to see their favorite brewery give it a shot and I don't I don't see any problem with that so yeah. um, that might be a little bit of a weak take but that, that's my take I, I don't know I, I, at heart I'm, I'm I'm always up for a challenge and when it comes to whatever the idea is it really doesn't matter to me it's just about how well did you execute it and any idea executed well is something to behold as a brewer or a blender from whether you're making it or tasting it from someone else. So uh, I appreciate that kind of in all its forms. Yeah. I kind of see it as the modern day version of Faro. So Faro is a, um, a young lambic that's back sweetened with uh, typically like brown sugar or some, some sort of more flavorful sugar. Um, that's typically served on draft at, you know, blenderies and uh, lambic producers. Um, and it's a very interesting style, I think. Yeah, it's very traditional. Um, it was a way to make um, young lambic, which is sometimes not very good, uh, more palatable and uh, just you know, have something that could be commonly served at the, you know, at the pub um, 100 years ago, um, typically served in cast format. So I see kind of this back sweetening of uh, sour beer, similar to that. I don't, you know, we aren't reinventing things necessarily, but um, one of the things that um, slightly 
concerns me is, are people really excited about the fruit, or are they excited about the beer? You know, like, you could, you know, as, as long as your fruit's good and your beer's okay, it's, you know, is that, uh, is that, are people just judging, like, this is amazing fruit juice, um, or is this, uh, you know, does the beer have anything to do with it? Maybe Jerry, Jeremy. Yeah, yeah I, no, I, I agree with you. Um, that, especially as being somebody who's, who's running that project, um, I mean, you would only hope that it's about the beer and not about the adjunct, I would hope. And that as a, as a, a beer maker and a blender that you're marrying the two in a way that um, will be respectful. Um, my thought on these like back-sweetened um, sour beers, though, and, and this is something we're doing for draft at the brewery to tasting room. Um, it's interesting because there's a lot of breweries out there in the country that are doing these style of beers. And, um, I think I was talking to, I think I was talking to Patrick a couple weeks ago and I don't know, I kind of, it wasn't really an epiphany, but, um, the thought is like, we're, you know, throwing a, a couple barrels a, a week on in the, in the tasting room and they're being well, really well received. And somehow we're like new to the game. And um, I think I pointed out to Patrick that we're not really new to the game. We've been doing these beers for a long time. We have B. Razzled. We had uh, the original Sour on the Rye uh, Pineapple Coconut that was six-plus Play-Doh. Um, you know, we have a lot of these. It's a great beer names, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We have uh, a lot of these <laughs> beers that historically the brewery has done and has been um, really well-received. Um, and, um, you know, the thought is people are hungry for those kind of beers and, uh, we have the complete ability to make them happen, um, so why not make it happen? And you know that's kind of what we did six weeks ago, and you know now we're six weeks in, twelve beers later, um, and those beers are flying out of the tasting room. And so uh, that's good for me. Um, I can only hope that yeah they're being respected for um, the artful, uh, artful uh, character that they may have, but. Ultimately, at the end of the day, if it's just about juice, um, people will end up at Jamba Juice and not at the tap room anyway. So, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, for us, for me anyway, I think it's just a way to get um, folks in to uh, spend a little bit of time and have a little bit of fun. And, and while they're there, um, they're going to see all the other exciting projects that, that both the brewery and Offshoot and, and Teru are all working on. So, um Oh, uh, it's it's a weird style for sure, but people like it. And what are you gonna do? Yeah, I like. I, yeah, I really enjoy drinking them. It, it's it's a different experience, and I think they're really appealing to people who are who've never had a sour beer before. Like mm -hmm. that's a great place to start. Um, yeah, and just the you know we don't, typically don't use. Uh, I guess sugar or fructose as a an ingredient in sour beers, but this is allowing us to play with that a bit. True. Yeah. I mean, usually Tereu. we. Tereu. I mean, yeah, usually we, we <laughs> wait for it to ferment. You know, that's kind of the game. <laughs> you <laughs> add fruit and you re-ferment it, and um, and that's good enough. But um, people like this stuff, and I, I mean, there is some interesting stuff with the. You are able to play with textures, more so in a way that you you can't really do in a fermented product. Um, so I think that's interesting, and when you have um, a really uh, viscous uh, smoothie 
type of beer and you carbonate that it's I have to say it is kind of magical in some sort of way yeah. like it's got this this incredible look to it and um and the mouthfeel is insane um yeah uh, they're fun to make and they're doing really well so yeah i think it, you know you just make it part of the whole package right so it's like just because you make that the the fruit bomb beer doesn't mean you can't make simple tart saison or you know grisette or dry hop this or spontaneous that with no ingredients it, it's more of just an internal brewery decision of how much do we want to make of each of those and then also even when it comes to intensity of flavor which i think you guys you know definitely run the gamut of that you can walk in the taste room and get hey let me get a splash of this or you know a half pour of that or just a taster or give me a pint of this and that's a decision that you know you can just let the individual beer drinker make you know if you want a pint of fruit bomb go for it you know i'd rather have a pint of you know just like tart saison yeah, or pilsner yeah pills <laughs> 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 but you know just it's just to each his own and if you can make all those different styles and execute them well then that's a great brewer for sure uh, so Jesse Alara would like to know. It's a question for me. So if you guys can just back off for great, a few I'll, I'll take this. I'll take this. Part. All right, okay. smoke break. Yeah. As Patrick, <laughs> I will take this as Patrick. Okay, let's do it. Uh, so how do you choose what beers are going into hoarder society versus reserve preservation, and how do you determine which are exclusives? You gonna do that? Yeah. Well, you know, I I talked to I talked to Jonas, and uh, pretty much all the good ideas are my ideas and all the bad ideas are Jonas's ideas. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, w I would say we, we reserve our, uh, our most expensive beers generally to, to produce for our uh, hoarders. Uh, well, it's kind of a scale. So um, hoarders will typically get things that we're super allocated on. Like, you know, you w we want to get grapes from this vineyard. Well, you can get a ton. Yeah, you can get 2,000 pounds, and that's all you can get. Okay, well, that's, that's good enough to do, you know, enough for, for our hoarders. Um, let's say for a reserve, we're going to spend, you know, it's, we're going to make a beer that costs, you know, $600 a barrel, where let's say the average craft beer is uh, production cost is around $30 a barrel. Um, try to sell that to a distributor, and uh, either we don't make money or uh, they can't sell it. So... Basically, we make we want to we don't want to be limited by the cost of what it costs to produce something, and by having a uh, direct way to sell to our uh, you know to customers who really care a whole lot, um, that it, it allows us to not have any limits onto what we can do. Um, so hope that's a good answer. As far as what's exclusive, that one you know that's been a hard hard thing for us to figure out what that. You know, we, we don't know what people are going to buy until we produce it, put it into a bottle, and sell it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I wish it could work like, you know, wine or Bordeaux Futures where uh, we could sell all this a few years in advance, but uh, we don't have that luxury. So we are continuously gauging what we think people are going to buy, and we want to make just a little bit more so that we don't sell out. So, you know, we want to – we don't want to uh, – we promise our members that they're going to be able to purchase these beers, and if we, you know, run out, then – we're kind of in trouble. Um, so the exclusive, uh, we're, you know, 
we have a, a much greater focus on exclusivity um, going into this year and into the, you know, uh, forever because it's, uh, it is really important. We just need to, to gauge what that, uh, what that amount that we need to produce is and not have you know, a ton of beer left over. Yeah, constant challenge. We have the same one at the Rare Barrel. So that's, that's really like a behind-the-scenes challenge more than anything. But, boy, I mean, how much time breweries spend on those decisions and that conversation, it's, it's kind of when you start realizing how, I don't know, just how hard it is to run a, a brewery, basically. Right. That might be a little more back of house than <laughs> we want to get into. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun to make beer, um, although that can be stressful too. But it, it's, it's these, like, really huge decisions on financial swings and when you have promised things to people in like a club kind of atmosphere it makes it a little more stressful as well so you just gotta try your best i just need to drink more beer like you know when we have a bunch left over i'm just like okay that's my i'm gonna drink three bottles a day for the next 10 years and i will have fixed that problem it'll be 20 percent gone (laughs) (laughs) exactly (laughs) awesome uh that's it for questions from Facebook Live. Appreciate you guys uh, asking the questions. Uh, do you see something, Kevin? Sorry, Kevin's in the background here. He's not. Uh, he's actually a better looking guy than any of us, but we put him behind the camera. Douglas has a oh, Douglas. Sorry, Douglas Walker has a question. Uh, what is your glass of choice for drinking sours and why? Let's see. Oh, I like uh, I like the party cup. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't like the blue ones or the red ones because then I can't see. You know, I'm a master cicerone, so I need to be able to see the beer at least. Um, for hazy beers, it doesn't matter that th- this is opaque. Um, it's, uh, anyway. Sorry. Jay, what, what's your favorite uh, sour beer glass? Flower vase. <laughs> you know, that's, that's way up there. Yeah. Um, sour beer glass. I, I don't uh, get too nerdy on glassware. Um, I... I have a, a big head and a big face, I think. So I like a, <laughs> this is not very technical, but like a big enough glassware opening to fit like my whole nose and mouth in, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and then one that's, I don't know, just a little more vertical than kind of the horizontal. I never really understood the, if you guys know like the the wide kind of like I think it's like a classic like Orval glass or a lot of the Trappist beers yeah, chalice that are just like wide open it's just like uh, and Patrick can probably un- like explain some of the theory behind this but it's just like well I, I just can't smell this beer at all it's just like flying all over the place and right it, if it doesn't smell good in a concentrated way you know why do I want to smell it at all I don't know it's kind of strange it was always strange to me so what basically one that can fit my fat face in and <laughs> concentrates the aroma is is what i like so you probably like a flared glass that helps capture some of that aroma when you stick your nose in there but is big enough that your nose actually fits yes just just enough flare to you know go with my personality yeah <laughs> yeah i like the flared glasses too <laughs> wow <laughs> <laughs> I think it's interesting when you look at Belgian beer glasses, like a goose glass looks like like your grandmother's iced tea glass. Mm. It's uh, it's a really cool looking glass, but you can tell it you know it's for the working man. This isn't like a this is not a fancy twenty dollar you know seven fifty milliliter you know uh, glass. This is or not appropriate you know not for that. This is a um, this is a, a fancy pint glass really. Mm-hmm. 
So it's interesting, like how much is aesthetics versus functionality. I think in the US we like to dress things up a bit. So the tulip, you know, something with a stem is, um, or you know, your teku glass. Is that how you say that? Teku? Mm -hmm. I think so. I just, read, I just read things online, so yeah. never know how to say things. Yet you have a podcast, so you're yeah. saying things out loud exactly. a lot now. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> Sorry to put you all through that. <laughs> Jeremy, you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I actually believe the perfect beer glass is the brewery tulip. Ooh. Oh, hot I take. Do. <laughs> not, not, not brewery uh, stemless tulip? No, not, not no. I uh, personally believe, uh, at least for my drinking, which I don't do a lot of, so when I do, I want the perfect glass. Uh, it's just not true. I drink a lot. Um, <laughs> I, I just love the brewery tulip. And, you know, the Taru ha has a, a tulip that doesn't have a stem. I'm not a soccer mom. Um, I'm not <laughs> pulling the kitchen uh, phone cord across the, the <laughs> table and knocking over my glass. So to me, like You're uh, super dating yourself. Yeah, well, I like a stem. <laughs> That's all right. That's I'm fine with that. But I like a stem. I'm also a, a big wine drinker. And, um, you know, you hold the glass by the stem. That's how you swirl. That's how you get your aromatics going. That's what I like. Um, and then we also at Offshoot have, uh, you know, some IPA centric glasses. Um, most of the tasting staff here at Brewery and Brewery True know that no matter what beer I order, they give it to me in the Brewery Tulip glass because that's what I like, mm -hmm. and it works for me. It's good to do what Jesus wants. <laughs> <laughs> Get in trouble if you don't. All right, we got one last question, and I'm going to throw it to you guys. Um, if you could only take one bottle of Brewery True or Rare Barrel to a party, so I want Jeremy to respond uh, I'll make it easy. You respond on the brewery true. What bottle of brewery true are you going to bring to a party? And what bottle are you going to bring of uh, your beer to a party? Which one would you take to share? And, oh, you can't pick your own beer. Shit, Mike. Shit. Okay, switch. Uh, so start start thinking of a true beer, and you start thinking of a rare, start thinking of the one in front of you, Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> Who's going first? Um, you are. I don't know the names of all of your beers. You know that? Yeah. Yeah. I don't have the I don't have the history. Yeah. I didn't work there for five years, so yep. I shouldn't be This is tough. I shouldn't be should held just, to just knowing just all the names of the rare barrel beers, but um I mean Saison Rue was tasting great to me. Oh man, you took today. the easy way out there. I mean but it's good. I mean we also had um the the train to I always forget the B name Beers Beersel. Yeah. We made up that Beersel <laughs> part. Yeah. <laughs> it's never been heard before. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, that, that was tasting great. Um, but me, you know, I don't know, yeah, take to a party. Yeah. That's, I, I guess Saison Rue would be one. Yeah. Cause it's just, it's, it's for everyone and it's just great. So nice. I'm not sure I have tasted the best rare barrel beer yet. Um, I'll chime in. Well, this one, in I would pick this one in front of you, actually. You, yeah, is this, this is a... Uh, that would phenomenal. be my, it, before I knew we were going to pick each other's beers. This uh, is vintage. That, that's, that's the older one. Yep. Um, it's apropos of nothing for mm -hmm. those who can't see it, which is everyone. Pretty much everyone, <laughs> other than myself and Patrick. Golden sour with elderberry and lavender. Um, it, it's, it's unique, but it's relatable, and huh. it's, it's really good. I How many like times it. have you guys made this one now? Just twice. Okay. I think I've had the second vintage and not this one. Um, lavender is a tough 
thing to work with. Yes. It can be done really, really well. Yeah. Um, you guys do w really well with it. Uh, but I do believe the best beer um, that Rare Barrel makes, I have not tasted yet. Uh, I plan on tasting that this afternoon. They sent me a bottle of Grisette uh, <laughs> six, six to eight weeks ago. Didn't we try that at uh, the California uh, Craft Beer Summit? I believe we did. Yeah, that was phenomenal. Um, well, I was there with you. You were kind of you were kind of grumpy. And it was yeah. the end of the day. Um, and maybe I didn't try it then. We'll just try it solo. That yeah, might be why. No, we like yeah. went back three times, and then oh. we then we were given a bottle. Hey, bring this back to your booth. Oh yeah, stop yeah, bothering us. yeah. I remember that. Yeah, and then um, I was like, wow, I'm really impressed by this beer. I'd really love to make a grisette with the rare barrel. And then I got them on a conference call, and I said, please, guys, can we make this grisette together? And they said, no, we can't. <laughs> we will not make that beer with you. <laughs> Um, but anyway, uh, sorry to digress. Uh, the Grisette, I do have a bottle of it. Uh, it's chilling right now at Taru, and when we get back to Taru, it's going to be one of the beers we drink. Yeah, it's tough tonight. to answer because we're going to drink a lot more of both mm -hmm. later today. So, Yeah. Excellent. I have to say the, the beer I miss the most from, from back in the day of, of brewery days is Saison uh, de Lent, though. That was, that was great. And uh, you guys were, on, on my last day, nice enough to give me – a bottle that you all signed uh, on it from the the first batch of beer that I ever brewed, and and that was a was from the first year that we made saison de Lent and came in and was uh, shadowing Jonas on uh, on an early day uh, mashing, and uh, that was a lot of fun, and that that bottle meant a lot, and it was, it was good. Yeah, love that beer. Awesome. Yeah, kind of miss that beer. Well, thank you, Jay, for joining us. Thank you, Jeremy, as always. Uh, Thanks for having me. Wanted to do uh, also just I didn't give much context for Jay. So Jay was one of our uh, first uh, first employees. Uh, went up from I, I think he did a lot of uh, cleaning floors and uh, washing kegs when we trusted you to wash kegs all the way up to being our uh, in charge of our sour beer program. Or I think just barrels in general. You, you kind of yep. oversaw everything. Um, and then uh, we're super proud of this guy. Started uh, the Rare Barrel with uh, with uh, someone who also kind of worked here. Uh, <laughs> did he work here like for five days as a? Uh, he's definitely he's on our payroll system. Alex put some time in here. Yeah, yeah he uh, he labeled some bottles and got some uh, Belgian liege waffle stains on his pants during the the first anniversary party, <laughs> making waffles outside all day. <laughs> I'm super, uh, super proud of Jay and uh, uh, very happy to call him a friend and uh, uh, I think a co-mentor. We can both. Uh, it's nice. Um, it's nice having people that you've, uh, you know, you work well with and um, you still have the same interests after all these years. So. Feelings Sh mutual. Everyone else, please leave the room for a minute. Patrick <laughs> and I need to be alone. <laughs> pull down the blinds. Fair enough. I'm out of here. <laughs> anyway, cheers, everybody. Cheers. See ya.